Janine, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by to join me is Ashton Applewhite. She's an author, speaker, and activist, and she's written this great book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, and she's written other books as well, and we're going to chat about that and a lot more. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Janine. I want to uh, back way up and ask you where your passions have come from? I mean, first, let's start with writing. When did you first know you wanted to be a writer? Um, I, I, <laughs> I never wanted to be a writer, and I find writing um, painful and arduous and slow. Okay. Um, my daughter asked me once, she said, well, mom, if it's so awful, why, are you, <laughs> why do you write? And I said, because when I read something good that I have written, mm -hmm. it makes me feel better than yes. anything else. So... Yeah. I have written the two books I've written because of the path my life has taken, which has exposed issues around sexism and ageism yeah. that felt important to try and bring to people's attention um, in a way that other people weren't writing about. Yeah, no, I'm, and I, it's almost like you want to get it out to share your story, but you want to touch other people, you know, with maybe some life lessons. Maybe. I mean, I became a writer. I never thought I'd, I, I mean, I, I can't say I never thought I'd be a writer because I did work in publishing because I love to read. I mean, that's mm -hmm. as much of a career plan as I have ever had. Okay. Uh, I went into publishing because I thought they'd pay me to read. Ha ha ha. <laughs> how little did I know how low the salaries were. Um, but I, I became these things because something seemed worth saying, not because I felt like I needed to be the public face of these issues. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, by the way, I'm always intrigued by people's backgrounds. So you, <laughs> you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I wear, I, I wear many hats, um, literally, not yeah. metaphorically. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, I have worn hats all my life. I love them. I mean, I'm very practical. I wear them to keep myself warm, to okay. keep myself cool, and to keep the sun out of my eyes. I like that. But you also have wear, don't you think you wear many hats in life? I don't know. I mean, I have many interests. I have many interests. I guess, you know, that every so often you run into this things like list the three ways you define yourself. And I don't, I never know what would be at the top of the list. I don't think I could answer that. Yeah. No. So um, tell me about your latest book, because a family member, um, uh, you know, mentioned it and I was so intrigued. Where, where did your, when did you first decide, you know, ageism is something I really want to write about and focus on? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would become fascinated by aging, I would have said, uh, why do I want to spend my time thinking about something yucky and depressing? Mm -hmm. And I will say there are moments when my inbox fills with, you know, webinars about dementia and, um, you know, retirement homes and stuff. And I go, wow, is this, is this like what mm -hmm. I, what I've become, but yes, it is what I've become. Um, I was in my mid fifties. It dawned on me that I was getting old. Uh, or older. And I realized I was very, very apprehensive about it. And so being me, I started um, 
you know, my, my, my process is very thinky. There was no aha moment. I didn't get uh, laid off. Like, you know, Maggie Kuhn, who started the Grey Panthers in the 70s, was laid off at 65 from the Presbyterian Church. And she said, F this and yeah. started a movement. I didn't have an aha moment like that, but I started a project about older workers. And I started interviewing people over 80 who work. And I started learning about longevity. Over 80. Over 80. Over 80 who work. Yeah, inspired by my in-laws who said, why don't you write about something people ask us all the time? They were octogenarians. They're booksellers. Um, So when are you going to retire? So the original project was I started a blog called So When Are You Going to Retire.com. And I realized in a matter I feel like it was weeks. It certainly was no more than months. How much of what I thought I knew it would, it was like to be really old was way off base or flat out wrong. Mm. And I became, you know, you, you, our fears about aging are real and legit. You're never hear me say, oh, just, you know, eat enough kale or have a good attitude and I'll be fine. You know, maybe it will be, but we, but you know, money helps, et cetera, et cetera. But those fears are so out of proportion to the reality that fear makes us spend money on stuff that we don't need. That fear divides us, right? And that fear, um, you know, is profitable for corporations. That's the main reason it persists. So I became obsessed with why so few people knew these things. And uh, for a long time, I thought, oh, I'll be modern. I'll just blog and tweet. And I won't have to write another book because writing a book is really awful. And, um, but then, haha, I realized I had to write a book. And, and then I became a public speaker. You know, it just sort of, it just sort of happened. Sure. Although it has been 15 years, so it's not like it happened overnight. <laughs> so, um, so it was almost like a research project, uh, getting to understand people that were older than you. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's sort of, you know, my way into things is to sort of noodle around and and research and get the sort of, I mean, my, my talent in the world, I worked for many, many years, had a wonderful job writing for the education department of the American Museum of Natural History here. And I have no science background just like I had no background in gerontology or geriatrics, but I am a very thorough researcher. I'm extremely scrupulous about my data. This is not cherry picked stuff about being very accurate about the way I say things. So I'm very comfortable. It turns out uh, it was never a plan to inhabit this zone between the wonky and the popular. I'm wonky for a popular writer, but I'm super accessible for an academic writer. And I'm not an academic, but I really, really do my homework because I want to present to people a fact-based view of getting older. I talk about it as fact rather than fear-based because fear makes us stupid. Fear divides us and fear actually, fear generates stress and that stress, there's so much interesting research I'm happy to talk about, about the relation between attitudes towards aging and our health. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I actually recently discovered that in the fellowship um, with the Age Boom Academy, where they were saying how ageism leads to loneliness and social isolation. And we, we ageism, push. I would say, justifies, justifies, yeah, yeah. yeah. sanctions it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's just tons of research that links 
attitudes towards aging to how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. Most of the research is done by uh, Becca Levy uh, at Yale. And my favorite of her studies, and it's, I think, one of her most recent big ones, um, shows shows that people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes towards aging are less likely to develop dementia, even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? And it's like, we might or might not cure Alzheimer's, but in the meanwhile, there's a free way, free to make yourself less vulnerable to Alzheimer's. And that is to educate yourself, to find out which of your fears about aging are actually justified in any way, because the anxiety around for, you know, when you can't find your keys, you know, if you think that means you're getting Alzheimer's, that's terrifying. Yes. And that generates stress. And that stress itself makes you more vulnerable to getting Alzheimer's. Whereas if you say, God damn it, <laughs> where are the keys? Um, it's irritating. And it, you know, you might you lose your keys more often than you did when you were young. Although kids forget things too all the time. Yes. So I'm not going to say that with any confidence. If yeah. you don't remember what the keys are for, you've got a real problem. Right. And again, you know, memory loss is real, but Sometimes I say, I think that I'm in the both sides of the story business. Again, the scary stuff is real, but we only hear the negative side of the story, right? And right. that, and, and the more, and that's the stress itself. I mean, Levy and her colleagues, um, you know, theory is that the anxiety generates stress and that itself leads to, um, you know, worse health outcomes for yes. people. Yes. And it's interesting um, because, you know, I, it's it's self fulfilling. So if you if you believe it, it's going to happen. And and um, you know, I think about my wonky way that Levy puts that wonky stereotype embodiment threat. Yeah, you you come to embody the stereotype, the the you know right, and make and then the threat itself becomes self fulfilling. Yes. And here in the pandemic, we have socially isolated older people to protect them, but that could be to their detriment that they're now they're even lonelier. Well, I would say it's us, not them. And we have those of us who are lucky enough to have the you know control over our lives and the um, circumstances to to isolate to to opt to stay isolated, mm-hmm. uh, you know chose that. I certainly did. Um, Of course, a lot of, you know, most of the deaths of older people occurred in congregate care of some sort. People end up in nursing homes, not because they're old, but because they become disabled. And a lot of younger people also, you know, with severe disabilities end up. So it's not about age inherently. Um, that said, and this may be a, a, a too wonky, a digression, but when, you know, the, the vast majority of deaths from COVID would have been of older people, no matter what, that's not bias, that's biology, because older, the, the way our bodies change as we age, um, you know, lungs become less- um, A weakened immune system. Yeah, weakened immune yeah. system. We're more vulnerable. Yeah. That's just an unwelcome fact of biology. But we would not have died in those numbers, right? Ageism and ableism, prejudice, the idea that people with disabilities' lives are worth less as well, sanctioned the appalling abandonment of older people and people with disabilities. That's where bias comes in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, older people, not everyone, they tend to think that they are not going to add any value at a certain age. Like their lives aren't valued. And they're lonely and depressed. They, you know, they've done this career, this path. Go ahead. Who's the they? Older adults. But how can you speak of older adults as a monolithic group? Well, when I'm talking about the, when I think about ageism, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of different side work. So, you know, I'm reading about how we've got college students that are very lonely and depressed and isolated at times. And then you have older adults that feel the same. And when you bring them together in these intergenerational strategies, it tends to be a win-win. Sure. Okay. So I was even having a conversation with somebody yesterday. Um, and he was saying, I don't know what younger generations, why they would want to talk to me. I don't know if I'd really add any value. Meanwhile, he's got an incredible background in TV and producing. And I said, it's not necessarily, you don't know TikTok and digital engagement and all this stuff, but you have a lot of experiences that they might find intriguing. Yeah. I mean, some, I think it's, um, I think it's, important to avoid talking about younger people and older people as a block because obviously even with younger people no generalization about every college kid or millennial or whatever could be true if i could you know um blast one fact about aging into every brain in the world it would be that the longer we live the more different from one another we become Mm -hmm. you know think about every newborn is unique but 17 year olds have a lot more in common developmentally, socially, cognitively, physically than 47 year olds who are way more homogenous. Yes. And 77 year olds and so on. So any statement about any group is a stereotype, but they're especially misinformed when it comes to age. The older a person, the less their age says about them. That person could have been a totally boring person right? Or someone whose expertise happened to be not of interest to the younger person or, but more likely they, they'll find something in common. What the, what's going on there is that the, we live in a society that barrages us with negative messages about age and aging. As you point out, Janine, older people are incompetent, that we are undesirable, that we are not in, you know, in the swim. And unless we stop to challenge that those messages, they become part of our identity that is internalized ageism. So that's what's going on, you know, with that idea, with that idea, you know, one of the, one, a habit to work on breaking is, is mm-hmm. when you show up at a social event, do you make a beeline for people your own age? I think we tend to, I think we tend to go towards people who look like us. But I think one of the reasons for we olders is that we think, oh, those young people will go, oh, God, you know, here comes an ancient hag over to talk to them. And, you know, maybe maybe one of or two of them might think that way, but they're never going to be the people who change the world or who are your friends. They're always some narrow minded people of any age in any group. But most of them don't care, aren't even going to notice. And some of them are going to think, oh, that's cool. Right. So unless we challenge that message between our ears that we are less valuable, less interesting, um, you know, nothing changes, which is why the most important essential task is to look at our own attitudes. Yes. Aging. Definitely. Tell me about your latest book. 
Um, it is called This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. It's a really good book. It's fun to read. Mm-hmm. It was a bitch to write. Um, and it really, it's threaded along my own um, experience from, you know, apprehensive boomer who knew nothing um, to really realizing like, oh, wait, um, a lot of the things I thought were true to touch on Alzheimer's again, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, but the rates of Alzheimer's are dropping fast. No, really? how come we don't know that. How come that isn't as evident a fact? So then I started thinking about what, what, what is driving all these negative messages mm-hmm. and what purpose do they serve? You know, sure. and they serve to divide us. They serve, uh, you know, they serve to profit from us. And that made me mad. So, um, it's, uh, it, uh, I self-published it because I could not get a publisher to pay me the kind of money and uh, attention I thought it deserved. And then, um, and, you know, traveled around with a box of books and my damn suitcase for a while. And because I was starting to do public speaking at the time. And then um, I sold the rights to a new division of Macmillan. Great. Uh, Celadon um, uh, two years ago, and they have been fantastic. So I'm Great. really, I, I feel very lucky. Uh, on that count as well. And you did a TED talk. I did a TED talk about a year before selling, a year after the book came out and a year before selling it to Celadon. And that, you know, a TED talk is is handy. The best thing the TED talk did for me was that I got a speakers bureau that now that um, started charging a lot more for talks um, than I was. And that enabled me to quit my part-time job at the Museum of Natural History and do this full-time. Excellent. Have you been doing a lot of talks virtually? You know, everything went dead, uh, obviously, for a year or so. Um, and But I'm starting to do more. It is all still virtual, mm-hmm. which is wonderful in that I don't have to spend a day getting to Boise and back. No, no diss to Boise. Right. I'm there. It's fantastic. Um, so I have more time. Um, and also being a cranky introvert, I was actually totally happy working at home <laughs> almost all the time. But it's important for me to get out, to meet people to hear their stories, to see what's landing, to find out what isn't. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out in the world again. Um, although I, I hope to travel less. Good. Okay. Here's a question. Cause my show is called get the funk out. What do you do when you get into a funk? What do you do to take care of yourself? You know, mentally Drink more coffee. Um, no, just kidding. I yeah. don't actually, I, I, you know, I don't know if anyone has ever said this to you, but when I wake up in the morning, I am at my lowest ebb. That is when life seems hardest. That is when it feels like I'm never going to have another smart idea Mm -hmm. um, when I'm the crankiest with my mate. So the most, the most effective thing I do to, to, um, uh, feel the funk better is wait, is remind myself that Mm -hmm. I, that what seems like a big problem will seem like a smaller problem later in the day. Yes. And I don't know whether that it's like, it's like the psychological equivalent of blood sugar. It's mm-hmm. just low and yeah. the problem may or may not go away or get bigger or smaller, but I am more resilient later in the afternoon. I don't, um, I do drink a giant, um, smoothie. Um, but that's, re- I don't exercise with any 
religiosity, which I know I should. Um, so I don't have, I can't say I have a, a um, so it's a mindset thought. and what you put in your body. A little bit. I mean, I, th this is my, the, the smoothie is my one good health habit. I eat reasonably healthy. Um, sometimes I'll get on my bicycle and go for a ride. It's the only <laughs> exercise I actually enjoy. Um, and, you know, just get some work done. I'm sorry. This is a very boring answer. I mean, I'm no, very, no, very work-oriented and I'm not, I, you know, I've been reading and learning a mm -hmm. lot about anti-racism work and white supremacy. And as you may or may not know, efficiency is like a number one white supremacist value. It's like, we have to do it right. We have to do it perfectly. We have to do it fast. Mm. So I feel like I have some work to do to free myself from that. But once, you know, I tackle my email, I drink my coffee, mm. I make the smoothie, I answer a couple of emails and then it's like, okay, this mountain is actually a hill. Yes. The hill I'm lucky enough to have chose to try and scale and um and we're off and running that's good that's a great mindset it works so where can people find out more about you uh, my website is thischairrocks.com um there's a link to buy the book which is not free although it's pretty cheap on amazon um but there is tons of stuff on the website that is free i uh have been thinking and out loud in blog form since 2005, 2007. Okay. So the, and the blog goes all the way back to there and that's, and it's searchable by topic. And so you can, um, not that, not that you're interested enough to track my thinking, but there's just tons and tons and stuff of stuff there. There's uh, media appearances where there's all the interviews with me. Um, you should also know about a website called old school, it's oldschool.info, which is the old school anti-ageism clearinghouse, which is a site I started with two colleagues a couple of years ago on the theory that this, the uh, movement against ageism was just emerging, that movements need tools. And wouldn't it be cool if there was a place where you could find the best books, the videos, um, right papers, you know, all sorts of stuff, tools, mm -hmm. workshops. We make some of our own tools and we put other people's, you know, guides to language, guides for people who, who work in aging services. So if you want, if you have a specific, you know, noodle around, if you want evidence that the movement is real, look okay. at our fast growing campaign section. And um, last but not least, I started a site called Yo! Is This Ageist? which in frank imitation of Yo! Is This Racist, which was going uh, for a long time before I started by a, um, a man who realized, you know, we're, we're awkward talking about race. We're ignorant talking mm -hmm. about ageism. Right. It's not always ageism. So you can send in, um, you know, a picture, an anecdote, a story, a cartoon, anything you come across and ask for my two cents on it. And I will attempt to weigh in um, wittily and wisely uh, you, you be the judge of how well I pull that off. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Keep me posted on any other works that come about. Maybe you're no, in another 20 years, I'll write another book. Okay. <laughs> 20 years. I doubt it.